0: Welcome to Global Data Pod Research Wrap. I'm Nora Santivani and joining me today is Jose Cervera, our Chief Economist for Central Europe. Hey, Jose, thanks for joining. Hey, Nora. Hey. So in today's episode, we'll be discussing our recent research notes uh, that, we, that we published on One of them is the sort of progress we're seeing on disinflation in Central Eastern Europe that uh, Jose put out called You've Come a Long Way Baby. And then I published one, which is around sizing up the scope for EM um, central banks to keep cutting in the current environment globally, which has become more challenging for uh, for easing in EM. Uh, Over the past three months, we've seen significant repricing higher of the Fed's uh, policy rate path through the end of next year. We've had the surge in 10-year yields uh, in the U.S., a roughly 5-6 percent appreciation of the trade-weighted dollar. And, you know, against this backdrop, EM would normally be in a bit of a panic mode, uh, right? But I mean, this hasn't really happened, at least not in the major EM economies that we track um, to be sure the EM policy rate paths have been repriced higher, but by less than for the US. And you know, things like EM credit spreads have seen limited widening, EM currencies have sold off some, but again, you know, nowhere near the magnitudes we may have seen in the past under similar uh, external circumstances.
1: But but Nora, you know why 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 is this the case? Why has this reaction in EM been so limited? Why do you think that is?
0: Yeah, I think look, I think part of the reason is that uh, the, the tightening of U.S. financial conditions hasn't really triggered a reassessment of EM vulnerabilities uh, to sudden stops in capital flows. That's typically the way EM gets into trouble. Um, this time around, uh, portfolio inflows into EM have been very modest ahead of this. Uh, tightening in financial conditions in the US. Uh, Since the first quarter of 2021, total portfolio inflows into EMX China have been just over 200 billion, which is significantly less compared to the 700 billion that we saw in the 10 quarters before the onset of the taper tantrum, uh, when we had a similar, you know, abrupt repricing of Fed policy. And that pushed at the time five of the larger EM economies into crisis. So we just haven't seen the same kind of inflows uh, in in recent years. Uh, Also, you know, things like domestic credit growth, uh, current account deficits in EM have been relatively contained Uh, instead of facing overheating pressures. uh, Much of EM is in a situation of very high real rates and lending rates uh, have have gone up a lot because of the early and aggressive tightening cycles that EMs have, uh, Pushed through. And we have very large disinflation ongoing. So, that in turn, um, you know, this tightening that we've had in real rates has kept GDP growth below par in, in EM. I know we've been talking a lot about how we've been surprised to the upside on EM growth, but actually, the growth rate itself has been. Has been at a subpar pace, so I think with you know the lack of overhang from foreign portfolio flows and domestic overheating pressures, it's just that EM domestic rates haven't really needed to be raised, you know, to lay external vulnerabilities and and FX pressures.
1: No, that makes that makes sense. But I mean, given everything that you said, and like if we continue in this sort of background, can central banks actually? C- Cut more from here? Can they continue cutting? Is there space to do that?
0: Yeah, I I think there's still space. I think domestic factors continue to support easing. Uh, We see core inflation momentum in many EMs uh, coming down uh, within central bank target ranges already in the actual data. Um, As I mentioned, EM growth, despite upside surprises, has been below trend uh, of late. Um, but I also think in the current external environment, it's only natural that EM central banks will turn more cautious. Uh, they might not tell us explicitly, and many are going to say they're focusing on domestic factors, but I think their actions will probably reveal more caution. And that could mean, you know, some of them have that have started to cut might slow the pace of easing. Some of them might even, you know, stop cutting. I think in the countries that have built up large interest rate buffers, there's still scope uh, for cuts. But you know, as I said, I think you might see a slower pace of easing, not least because currencies have weakened. And now we have the geopolitical tensions added to the mix. I think the region that's really under pressure is EM Asia, where interest rate buffers are very low and the situation has been quite difficult. there. central banks have been already using FX interventions and bond sales and tightening interbank liquidity. And that's been going on for almost two months now. So on balance, I would expect us to be you know, keeping easing cycles in place where we already had them, but potentially uh, revising towards a slower pace of cuts. Now, not every region is the same. And certainly one region that stands out, Jose, is your region, uh, the C3 region, where if anything, it feels like our confidence uh, has increased that we're gonna get more front-loaded easing. So what's what's driving this optimism in Central Europe?
1: Quite a few of the, the reasons I'm gonna mention are things that you talked about also in, in the broader um, in the broader view of EM but essentially there's two things. So the first thing is that inflation really turned around. So inflation absolutely collapsed in CE. And we have gone from having core inflations running in high double digits to run rates very close to target, if not at target. So in the Czech Republic, for example, the last few prints are sub-target already. In Hungary, they are very close to it, and in Poland, even though the trajectory has been a bit slower, uh, we have to recognize that there's always been a lot of also been a lot of progress. So that's factor number one. So inflation went up and rates went up. Now inflation is coming down, so there is it opens the question about when should you start cutting. The other aspect that really changed is external balances, which uh, at the peak of the problem in in, in 2022, uh, we had massive current account deficits that were putting huge pressure on currencies. And these central banks had to step in to defend them. Some of them did currency intervention also where they could. Others couldn't afford to do that. But essentially, everyone had to stick to a very conservative rate policy. Now, all of this has reversed. Current accounts are broadly speaking, neutral, let's say around zero. And so that sort of pressure does not exist. So the financial market type pressure or the financing side pressure is gone. Um, and the inflation motive is very different. And finally, a third, but I think in the broad scheme of things, a bit smaller argument is that growth is actually a lot weaker. Uh, so we have been having very poor growth in the last, say, year, year and a half in, in this region. So essentially i think we have a case for central banks to start not necessarily i'm not we're not arguing for easy policy we're arguing for unwinding tight policy and these are policy rates that in this region you would have never seen if it wasn't for the emergency situation of last year so it's about unwinding that now i uh, i think what we did here was, like you said, we brought forward the first moves in Hungary and Czech Republic for the fourth quarter. So we have Hungary in October, the Czechs in the November or December. But essentially, we did not change the overall scope of of easing.
0: Okay, and is uh is Poland somehow different? Because when I look at Poland's inflation numbers, I am seeing you know some progress on disinflation, but not quite the same extent as in. Czech and Hungary. And certainly in terms of the, um, you know, uh, relative to target, it doesn't feel like we have the same picture of core inflation getting quite as low as in the other. So how, how is Poland different? Maybe we can provide a bit of a contrast to the other two.
1: No, that that is true. The progress has been a bit uh, more limited um, on, on the disinflation front. Um, the latest date is actually on the encouraging side, I would say it's very hard to strip out because the, the last data point is quite uh, polluted by government measures, but um, be, be beneath that, I think it, it's actually a benign reading. So I think it, maybe it's perhaps a question of time, but it's also an economy that has been growing faster than others, where there's been a lot of uh, of stimulus, like fiscal position is very different than what's happening uh, in in the rest of the region. We had some recent weakening in FX, which is now being unwound after the election result. Um, So there's a bit of a few idiosyncratic factors here, but I I wouldn't rule out that Poland can also also decline here. I think I'm a bit more skeptical in the sense that's been a more stimulated economy where the government has adopted more interventionist policy uh, across the board and hence i think it will be more complicated but i think even so let's see where it settles i think they have a, a bigger risk of, of not making it than the others probably but i think they're still it's still a relatively optimistic picture here that is forming i think
0: i mean one question i have in my my own mind for ian broadly is Uh, You know, as we both have commented, core inflation momentum has come down very strongly and is Mm. within central bank target zones. But to what extent can this downshift, this recent downshift that we've been seeing um, be sustained? Because when I look at the composition of the disinflation, a lot of it is coming from core goods. Right. And it's, I think, a point that you're also making um, in your note. What is your sense for where we go from here. And also what would be the sensitivity uh, to a situation in which you know, services inflation is getting stuck at sort of higher levels. We add to that, of course, the weakening in currencies, which might push core goods inflation itself higher again. Um, how sensitive do you think central banks will be uh, to this kind of FX weakening and where do you see um, core inflation going from here?
1: I mean, that that's exactly right. I mean, the, the picture you described fits this region perfectly. Uh, we have very, very uh, substantial disinflation in core goods. So it's running close to zero or at negative uh, across the region in the last few months. And services is running, I would say, just to characterize it broadly, five to six percent let's say and so if this would be the end of it then that would be more or less okay it's actually kind of a time travel back to 2019 where we have no inflation in in tradables and then we have inflationary pressures on the on the domestic market but it kind of evens out and you have sort of three percent average which is not too bad now how how can how can this be sustained my 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 bias here you know and time will tell but i think that's a bit the bias of the global team is that we will have tradable inflation globally that will be a bit higher than before COVID because of all the structural transformations that we're not going to discuss here, but that it's been topical in the last few months. So I would imagine that we are undershooting. We had a period where goods consumption uh, overshot during pandemic. We had massive demand. We had supply shortages, all of that unwound. And and now you have some kind of... uh, some kind of payback from that. So I think we're undershooting the underlying trend and we're probably going to settle a bit higher. And that means that uh, services, if you want to meet that target, if you want to bring that inflation to 2.5 or something like that, services has to come down. And the problem is this is a region where there are structural labor shortages and and wage pressures are not likely to disappear anytime soon. Even if they come down from the peaks, they're probably going to linger for a long time probably forever honestly <laughs> in in times of like if we take like a markets, uh a market's time horizon i doubt i will ever stop talking about this uh, while doing this job so i think it's going to be very complicated and so it's a matter of determination of central banks here and but that's also the why we see that when rates go down now they will never go down nearly as low as they were before so we have the the Czech national bank at 425 at the end of next year. And then we have Hungary at six, five and then we have Poland at, uh, four and a half. So, and we have to to match this with a starting point where Hungary had zero rates, Poland had 1.5, Czech Republic had three or something like that. So we are talking about like settling at the higher level of, of rates. And even so let's see if it's possible. I think we are in this region these are small economies, so it depends a lot on what is the global inflationary environment. That will be key.
0: Yeah, the global is is pretty similar. I'm thinking in a similar way to you in that we see material disinflation, but it's also an incomplete uh, disinflation. So we're not getting back all the way down uh, to central bank targets. Um, we might be something like 50 basis points higher, 100 basis points higher, somewhere in that range. Uh, and as you say, that provide some space for rates to come lower in countries where real rates are high, but uh, certainly it feels like monetary policy stances need to stay uh, a little bit restrictive here, even at the end of these cutting cycles. So the key message I think for EM overall is that even though we see rate cuts continuing, I think uh, rates will be ending these cutting cycles in a still at a restrictive uh, level. So that's very much the case. Elsewhere as well, I think LATAM in particular has a number of similarities to to what you described for for C3 countries. Uh, you know, core goods inflation has come down very sharply, but services is proving to be a little bit stickier. Uh, central banks here too have space to ease. Real rates are you know even higher, way higher than in in CE, and. Um, You know, even after recent weakening in currencies, we still see quite material year-to-date appreciation in places like Mexico, Colombia, Brazil. Um, We didn't talk much about oil prices and that's not really the focus of today's uh, podcast, but many EMs also have fiscal and, you know, quasi-fiscal mechanisms to mitigate the impact of rising oil prices. So I think LATAM is certainly a region where there's still space to ease, um, but similar message in that real rates um, need to stay above uh, sort of neutral levels. In EMAX, that's EM see ex-China, core inflation is already undershooting central bank targets, um, but we have seen some upward pressure from food and energy. And then, uh, as I mentioned before, we have a situation of negative rate differentials versus the, the US, which are driving capital outflows, balance of payments deteriorations also due to the higher energy prices. So that region is under pressure to you know, to tighten policy, probably not so much through policy rate hikes, but through these other measures uh, that I mentioned.
1: Okay, but but so let me let me ask you something. I mean, what 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 can go wrong here? Yeah, uh, it seems like we're talking about a, a, like a, like we have this view of EMs cutting rates uh, in many places, but you know, in EM nothing is ever as Exactly as expected. So what what can go wrong here? What can spoil the party?
0: Yeah, yeah a lot can go wrong. A lot can go wrong. Um, I think one one thing I'm somewhat concerned about is that central banks decide to just ignore FX weakness. Um, they ignore the tightening in global financial conditions. You know, they rightfully feel a little bit confident. You know, they hiked rates early. They built up these buffers. The fundamentals are not bad, but that doesn't mean you can ignore. <laughs> And I think, you know, the, the base, while well, not our base case, we see risks biased uh, for the Fed to have to hike once more from here, maybe in December. Um, we have this U.S. growth exceptionalism that could continue to push the dollar stronger. And, you know, if you have currency depreciation in EM, it does tend to pass through to inflation, higher inflation in one way or another. You also have higher commodity prices. So I think that combination, especially for central banks that are less credible, could you know, put us in a situation where we get higher inflation, maybe even second round effects for core inflation, inflation expectations. As you mentioned, labor markets are very tight, actually overheated in some cases like Mexico, we have expansionary fiscal policies as well. So um, I think certainly for me, the risk is that um, you know, if this currency weakness is ignored, then that might create more uh, pressures further, further down the line. Um, central banks will eventually be forced to kind of opt for financial stability if these sort of moves on global markets, I think, continue. Um, I mean, I wanted to ask you the same question for, for your countries. It, it feels like there's also a bit of differentiation right now. and are some countries that are going to be more sensitive to FX weakness than others. Um, I have Hungary in mind in particular, um, whereas maybe Czech might be, or at least is sounding a little bit more confident that that, that's not going to spoil the inflation outlook. So I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, maybe FX pass-through and um, whether that might be a concern, um, especially given the experience of 21-22, feels like Hungary Uh, currency weakness did have quite a big impact on inflation so what are your thoughts this time around in terms of how c3 central banks could react if we get continued weakening in currencies from here and whether there's any differentiation or any other risks that you want to highlight for your countries
1: no i I think you're right Uh, within this region if i have to think about currency as becoming a problem I would think about Hungary first but let me like just make a caveat I think the region because of the transformation in external balances there is a significant buffer uh, to be able to absorb this type of shocks and to be able to take a step back and think you know is this do I really need to react now I think you have the ability to look through and in 2022 that that was not the case because basically everybody was on their knees and had to react on the spot. So I think we are in a different situation there with uh, lower inflation and external balances that are positive in general. Within that, I think the issue has been, is more for Hungary. Why? Because Hungary has two things. One is there's a credibility issue that is not so strong as in the Czech Republic say. And there is at the same time a balance sheet issue which is not as solid as say in Poland or also the Czech Republic. So the massive current account deficits of the past few years in in Hungary were funded by carry Trade essentially. And that means that there's a big wall of short-term funding that needs to be permanently refinanced. And so that's why you have a country like Hungary where inflation is coming down, the current account is in great shape, trade is in record, historically high surplus. Rates have been very high for the European context. And still, anytime there's something going on, Hungary reacts first. So the foreign is also super sensitive. And this is why, because there's a huge pile of money there that wants to be convinced permanently that you should stay there. So so I think it's it's a bit of um one, the fear that the NBH could change course all of a sudden because of like past precedent it, it's, it's had its history, even though now they say all the right things. So there's also that fear in the back uh, of investors' minds. But secondly, I think balance sheet-wise, it's, it's in a weaker position, not necessarily the flow, but the stock. And so I think that leaves them in that situation. So I think if we would have some shock, I think what we have right now is is manageable. But if we have something that's a bit more violent, then Hungary, certainly, I think I would imagine they could pause cuts or or eventually reduce them to very 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 small level, something that they thought was digestible. Uh, and I think in 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 the others, it it will matter more in terms of pace because it will be treated as temporary. So if there's a bit of weakness in the Czech crown, they can pause the cuts and then the market will reassess and then the crown will come back a bit and then they can can get back to it. So it will be a bit endogenous. And Poland is just a bit of a hard call because it had a lot of, um, how should I put this? Uh, Poland has had a lot of decisions that have been hard to understand from both the communication and data perspective. So it's also a bit harder to understand how it was going to go on. But I think the currency will matter also in determining the pace. I, w- I, I would say we will still go to the same end point, but it will determine whether we get there in 9, 12 or 18 months. That's how I would think about it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds, sounds like a very similar uh, story in, in, in LATAM as well, uh, where we're highlight- highlighting greater caution, most likely from, from central banks. And it sounds like, as you say, there's going to be differentiation um depending on... Yeah. Um, vulnerabilities, you know, external financing needs, countries with low buffers, whether that's a rate buffer, FX reserves will be more vulnerable in this kind of environment and might be forced to uh, stop cutting. Um, all right, perfect. Well, let's leave it there, Jose. Thank you so much for uh, joining me. Thank you to our listeners uh, for tuning into the Global Datapod Research Wrap, and we hope to continue on the next episode.